again. We're going to get into the Word of God. Amen. We're going to get into the Word of God. All right. Thanks. Some of you are still chatting, I know. Um, I'm excited today um, that the Word of God is living, that it's active, uh, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. Uh, and it speaks. It speaks to our life. It speaks to our situation. Um, right where we are, it always speaks. The Word of God always speaks. We're going to be jumping into a new, season, uh, new series today um, on the coming of the Son of Man. That sounds wild if you're not familiar with it, um, but it's so important, so relevant. Um, if you don't think so, I believe you will be by the time you walk out today. Um, but the elders have been talking, praying, leaning in for discernment really for m several months and just asking the Lord to give us discernment about the times that we live in, um, that we as God's people would be ready, would be prepared uh, for the days we live, and even if we were to see his return, that we would be ready for that. So this series we're leaning into now um, is geared toward that. We're going to be looking at Jesus's words, his instructions towards his people concerning the days before he returns. Uh, we'll be looking later into the book of Revelation. So what we got passed out to you is just a list of resources, because we uh, want you to be able to dig in on your own uh, to these topics, to grow, to learn, so it's not just, well, so-and-so said, that's a horrible way to, to walk out <laughs> truth. So-and-so, no, you need to know for yourself what the Word of God says. So we got just a couple different resources on here. The Center for Biblical End Time Studies is a website with free training materials um, you can check out, but also courses you can buy. The Mike Bickle Online Teaching Library, same. Um, and then a recommended reading. This is short. It'll be, I ordered some. They're not here yet. It's called End Time Simplified. It's super easy reading. So especially if this is something that you've not dug into, I'm going to really encourage you to, to get that and dip into that. We'll have it again here next week. Um, and then while I'm doing a commercial, out on the foyer, you may have seen this thicker packet, um, is about 150 chapters of the scripture. Did you know there are 150 at least 150 chapters in the Bible specifically uh, dedicated to speaking towards the end of the age and the return of Jesus. Did you know that? 150 chapters. That's a lot of information. So this is really just a list of where you can find all those if you, say, wanted to go on a study of looking at all the ways it's Old and New Testament where God has informed us and equipped us for the day uh, when Jesus will return. So that's out there. It's thicker. It's about 15 pages front, front and back, um, but it's for you. So we have at least one enough for, for one for each family. So I encourage you to take that. Make it your summer and fall study. We're going to be in this series for a while, um, and uh, I'm actually excited about it. I know summer is when people like vacate and, and go out and do stuff and, and whatever, but I'm just imagining, you know, us being a people crazy enough that while you're sitting out on the beach, you're not just reading a magazine, you're, you're reading some of these 150 chapters. You're using your Bible app on your phone when you're on that long car trip, reading into these, asking the Lord for insight. Um, I don't think you would, you would be upset if you gave yourself to this in this season. So just an encouragement to do that. All right? All right. So um, as I said, we're going to jump into this series. We just came out of um, the series on the journey to the cross. We kind of wrapped up last week 
with Marvin teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, which is the, the, the culmination really of the work of Jesus' ministry into this age, the church age that we live in. And we as a church were born because the Lord poured out his spirit on flesh. He poured it out on us. Uh, and so if you didn't get to hear that, we encourage you to, to hear that uh, message from last week. And if you weren't here to receive prayer or you were here and you didn't receive prayer, we want to pray with you. At the end of the service, the prayer team is going to be right over here, right, Cindy? Yeah, and they would love to meet with you and just uh, ask the Lord to continue to pour out His Spirit on you. And let me just make that clear. It's not a one-time thing. When you're a believer, Ephesians 5 says, encourages us to be being filled. Be in a constant state of receiving the filling and outflowing of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we're, we're coming from the journey to the cross into this series on the, the coming of the Son of Man. And the Bible describes Jesus' return uh, with a phrase, and we're going to look at this a little bit today, but our blessed hope. Um, from the time Jesus left the planet, our great hope is knowing that he will come back. Amen? So it's really good news. The, the whole story between then and when he comes is, is a crescendo. God's story ushering us into the day when we will see him face to face. And it's meant to be what anchors us, what strengthens us in the days that we live. And you know, I just kind of feel like the days that we live right now, we could use an anchor. <laughs> I feel like in the days we're living right now, anybody read the headlines? Okay, we could use some hope. We could use strength, we could use insight. We're so easily caught up in the ups and the downs and, and all the headlines, but if we keep our gaze on the one who is coming, we are anchored. We keep our gaze on the one who will return, we have hope. Because you know what? He will come. He is coming. It's truth. <laughs> we may not know the day or the hour, but he will come. And so everything that's wrong right now will be made right. Isn't that good news? There is a decided end to the tension. There's a decided resolution to the turmoil. There's, there's a moment when it will not be like this anymore. That's a blessed hope, friends. For those that know him, he will come and make all the wrong things right. He will come and set everyone who is captive free. And, and every believer in Jesus gets to watch and to wait, to expect and to hope, to never forget that he is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? So just wrapping up, again, from last week to this week, I think the perfect strength. We're going to be sitting today, if you have a Bible, in Matthew chapter 24. But I want to start in Acts chapter 1, uh, where Marvin left off. Uh, there was a passage where Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He promises the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. But then he didn't stop there. Don't know if you knew. Uh, he had more to say. So we're going to jump in in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Um, and for context, this will make a lot more sense in just a moment. Jesus, when he says this to them, when he's 
talking to them the last time before he ascends into heaven, he is standing with them on the Mount of Olives. Okay, we'll just tuck that in the back of your mind when he has this conversation about the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. I mean, this is wild stuff. And while they're gazing into heaven as he went, behold, uh, two men stood by them in white robes. This is verse 10. And now verse 11. So some angels showed up and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, he will come to you the same way you saw him go into heaven. He is leaving, but he will come to you. These were the disciples' final words. From the moment he left until the moment we're living in now, those words are hanging in the balance. The angel warrior made a prophecy to give us a, a point of reference for the days in which we lead. That he has come, he has left, and he will come again. And so here we are, endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. How shall we then live? And that's what we're going to talk about. But in the midst of the then and the now and the not yet, he's orchestrating something awesome. What's happening now isn't just a passive waiting these are meant to be the greatest hours of the church. These are supposed to be the greatest hours as we await his return. And as we get into, you know, talking about Jesus' return, as we get into talking about the end times, you may think, I'm not really into the end times, and that's fine. Just make it your aim to be into Jesus. Okay, because this is his plan. He is the man with the plan. And so if you're into Jesus, this matters to you, Okay. So now that we can all agree, it's important to him, it's important to us. Let's pray as we jump into the word. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus the son. We thank you for coming and granting us salvation. We thank you for coming and leaving the Holy Spirit with us in this hour. We thank you for your grand plan. We ask God in these days that you would draw us into your heart. God, that we be found with hearts burning for you in the days when you return. God, that we would know you, that we would know you, the one with the plan, as we walk in these days. If you agree, say amen. All right, so we are going to go now to Matthew 24, just like I said. Uh, Matthew 24 and 25 are what um, theologians like to call the Olivet Discourse. Anybody know why? Because they're on the Mount of Olives. Oh. And this is pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection. One of Jesus' last moments with his disciples, he's on the Mount of Olives teaching them. This is Jesus' main teaching, aside from the book of Revelation, on the end of days and his return. This is it. On the Mount of Olives. And here's a, here's a little spoiler alert that we won't talk about today, but you can fact check the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 14 says that when he comes back, he's going to set his feet, guess where? On the Mount of Olives. No accidents in how God orchestrates his plan. But so here's what happens. It's called the Olivet Discourse, but we want to start in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to him to point out all the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you, sh you, sh you see all these, do you not? 
Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus makes a very crazy and cataclysmic statement, and then he goes on to teach them. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus makes a radical statement, takes them to the Mount of Olives, and now they ask a question. You know that's exactly what he wanted, right? Sometimes Jesus says crazy stuff to get us to come with him on a journey. And Jesus answered them, verse 4, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear, verse 6, of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. You you might even want to, you know, underline some of these instructions. Don't be led astray. Do not be alarmed. For this must first take place, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 8, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. We're going to read just a little bit more. I wish we could read the whole chapter today. It's too much. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then, verse 10, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, then, then the end will come. We're going to stop there. See this in context. Again, we are so prone to get caught up on drama, cataclysmic events. I don't think those are the main point of the story here. Do you see that in the story? Let's just unpack it a little bit. What did they want to know? So Jesus, they're like, Jesus, did you see all the cool buildings? And Jesus drops one on. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make sure there's not one stone left on them. Take some, and I feel like there's a pause somewhere between that, that moment where, and then he leads them up. I just imagine, just, just let me write between the, on the white space here for a minute. And then he leads them in silence <laughs> without speaking because they had to be at the buildings to see them. But then they're on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus walks them silently thinking about what he just said <laughs> all the way to the Mount of Olives and sits them down. And they know what's going to happen because when the rabbi sits them down, we're about, to, we're about to teach. And what do you do? You come with questions. And so they're like, Jesus, it's like they've been fuming with this, simmering with this thing the whole way. They know what he's talking about. He's talking about coming to set up his kingdom on earth. And that's what they've wanted the whole time. This whole time. Like, Jesus, is it now? Are we going to do this now? Let's go. We've never heard you say anything like this before. You've always been not now, not now. This is not the time for that. And now you're talking about doing something. You're talking about doing something. And they're like, is this it? Tell us, when will it be? 
how will we know? And you see Jesus, essentially, that's exactly what I wanted you to ask me. And then he begins to unpack what's going to happen, them not knowing its future, but us knowing its future. They wanted to know, when are you going to take your rightful place as king? That's what they long for, and you know what? That's what we long for. That's what every human longs for. Every breathing soul wants Jesus to be king. They don't know it, but our hearts long for the perfection that only he can bring to the earth. It's not that they were crazy. We would have been the same. Jesus, let's go. Get on the throne. Fix this thing. It's messed up here. Man, that sounds so true right now. We are longing for his return, and he has an answer about when he's coming about how his kingdom's going to come. And this is it. This is a summation statement. I'm going to tell you what it's going to look like, and I'm going to tell you what it's going to take to get you to the place where you'll be ready for me to take my throne on the earth. Do you get that? that was the, the problem wasn't with Jesus. The problem was the earth wasn't ready. The Holy Spirit hadn't come Though Jesus had done amazing miracles and ministry on the earth, the gospel had not yet reached the far ends of the earth. And it was going to get there one way, through you and me, with the Holy Spirit. So it's not ready. The earth isn't ready for Jesus here, but we're on the way now. And so he wanted to tell us what it would look like and what it would take so that we would be ready for what we all really want, for Jesus to be king of all, Lord of all, for all the wrong things to be made right. It is our blessed hope that this is our reality. It's our blessed hope that this is our story, that this is where it's all going, and he's going to make sure it gets there. We're not on some random journey where all the things that are just happening in the earth are just happening in the earth. There is a man with a plan. He's working his plan, and we are closer to seeing him on the throne on earth than we've ever been. That's where we're at. This is not out of control. It's in his control. Do not be alarmed, he says. Now, as we read through the passage here of, of what he's talking about, you can say, yep, see that, see that, check, check, see that. We've seen that. And most of these things have been happening since the time he said it until now. You could make a case. I don't have the history here to prove it, though I've looked into it. That within the last century, though, there's been an uptick, a, uh, an exponential increase of all these things in a way that hasn't happened in the hundreds of years preceding. The famines, the earthquakes, the wars, all those things have exponentially arisen in the last hundred years. And there are other signs as well, but I just want to stick to what he's talking about today. So he's giving the answer by painting a picture of what to expect in the world around him. And so he says there's going to be wars and rumors of war. Well, we're in that now, like Russia, Ukraine. That, that's nothing new, though, but it's here. And he says nations will rise against nation. I've been watching that most of my adult life, nations rising against nation. But let's put it in, in a different perspective, though, because the actual Greek there says ethnos will rise against ethnos, meaning ethnic groups will begin to be pitted against one another. I would say in our own nation, over the last three years, there's been a, a, a flame turned on underneath the ethnos, rising against ethnos. 
where the temptation is for us to turn against those who are different than us, to cast judgment, to, to, to villainize one another. It's a part of the environment that's being created that's going to be producing the ripe earth for Jesus' return. What I really want to lean on, there's so much more in this, but I feel like it's so much more relevant to our context in this very moment, is what Jesus says here in verse, because I could unpack all of these. Verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We're going to focus in on those two verses. This really struck a chord in me, and we've been planning this series for months. But in the wake now of so many mass shootings, it's such a, a clear fruit of lawlessness. Lawlessness being simply... Um, and I think I have a simple definition up there, but the state of disorder due to a disregard for the law. Uh, this isn't new, but this is a ripe fruit. I mean, if again, I don't recommend watching headlines regularly because it's not helpful, uh, and I could go on a tangent about how those are shaped to induce fear, um, but the, the number of shootings in the last weeks and months is, is wild and saddening. It's a fruit of lawlessness, and lawlessness doesn't just have to do with like our civil or federal laws where people disregard the law, produces chaos uh, and disorder, um, but it also has to do with God's law and natural law. When people cast off God's natural law, for instance, in regard to sexual relations and identities, it produces a state of disorder in the earth. So there's a lawlessness of throwing off God's law. There's lawlessness of, of throwing off our civil laws. There's the spiritual lawlessness of people rejecting God. All of this falls into the category of lawlessness. In, and what happens as the lawlessness in the earth continues to grow, Jesus says what's most likely to happen to many in this environment is their hearts will grow cold. Their hearts will shut down. Why? Because the more you see it, the more you see lawlessness, the more you see tragedy, there are two human responses, and probably more, but two main ones. One is fear. And fear will shut our hearts down in a moment, and it will drive out love. Fear will drive out love in our hearts. The other thing when we see tragedy and lawless events that happens is we, the other side is, one is, is, is you know, consuming fear and anxiety. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen in our world? The other is we shut down completely and our hearts get cold and we don't feel. And when we hear the next tragedy, you're just, don't care. Both our hearts cold. He says, because of the increase of lawlessness, the hearts of many will grow cold. To, to, why? Because fear comes in. Because we grow numb to the tragedy around. Because we don't have capacity to deal with it in our human frame. 
But what do we do when we find ourselves in a culture, in a moment of lawlessness? When, when the temptation in our own hearts is to fear or to grow numb, we set our eyes on the one who is in control. The one who is the man with the plan. And it's a good plan. It's for our good. And his plan is the best. And we are on our way to his return. It's a sign of our blessed hope. And you know what? Those that have Jesus in their hearts don't ever need to fear. Because we know he's in control. The cultural narrative tells us to be afraid. Afraid of those, afraid of everything really. Like be afraid of the government. Be afraid to send your kids to school. Be afraid of health crises. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And the Bible says, do not fear. Do not fear. I've heard it said there's 365 times, one for every day of the year, <laughs> to tell you, don't be afraid. You know why? Because you're not alone. You're not without help. You have hope. You have help. And, when we, and, and our encouragement, when the, the cultural noise is so loud, when the, the temperature of lawlessness is getting so high, is to stop putting our gaze on that and put our gaze on him. Put our gaze on the one who's in control. Put our gaze on the one who has the eyes of fire. The one who's in orchestrating the events unto our blessed hope. I just want to reiterate, it is good news if we see ourselves nearing Jesus' return. It is the best news that has ever come to the planet that he's coming back. But when we look to him, our hearts are warmed. And our love won't grow less, it will grow deeper. And it will go stronger. And there will be a people called the church that is immovable, unshakable, a force which hell cannot prevail against. He prophesied it. That's our narrative. That's our story. And that his perfect love comes to us to cast out all fear. All of it. How can we have confidence in turbulent times? It's that we know the author of the story. No one else gets to write the story but him. We have confidence in turbulent times because we know the director of this drama and we know what he is like. We know that he is always good. We know that every intention he has is good and right. We know that he is faithful, and we know that he loves us. Don't we know it? Did he demonstrate it on the cross when you didn't deserve it? Then you should never doubt that he loves you, and you should never be a moment where you ask the question like, do you really love me? I have shown you the full extent of my love. There should be no room for doubt that he is for us and, and not against us because he loved us when we were against him. We never did anything to deserve the love and you can never do anything to lose it. We're confident in turbulent times because we know him. We're also confident in turbulent times because it's not something that's happening to us. We're not passive victims and bystanders 
in the midst of the story, we have a part to play. God wrote the story around Jesus and us. Central figures. And I don't have time to unpack that all today. That's what we're we'll looking at in this series. But we don't just stand by and watch, twiddle our throne, thumbs. We stand victorious. We watch, we pray. And we stand with Jesus when he comes, and we are ready. We have a part to play. We're confident in turbulent times because we're not victims. We have a part to play. We are active participants. And this is true in the broad human narrative that we are in. But I want to tell you, just just bring it down to ground level for a moment, because all of us have our own story, and all of us are experiencing something in our life. Whatever's going on in your personal life right now, whether it feels like it's boring, mundane, nothing's going on, or I don't know what I'm doing with my life, or there's some really heavy, tumultuous stuff going on, I want to tell you the same is true. You can have confidence because you know him. You know that his plan is good. And you know that it's not, your life is not happening to you. You have a part to play in God's plan in your life. You get to partner with him, and he is faithful, and he is always up to something good. But I'm going to tell you, it's so simple. The most important thing in the age we are living is that we know him. One of the big warnings of this passage, and and I'm going to need to to close it up here soon just for time, but is he goes on several times about false Christ coming, about false prophets coming and leading many astray. What's the antidote? to not being led astray is that you know him. That a false Christ doesn't fool you because you know the real one. You know what I mean? And Jesus said, if you're his sheep, you know his voice. And his sheep will not listen to another. You won't listen to another voice. Will I be deceived? Well, do you know him? Will they lead me astray? Well, do you know him? There is no more important, more important priority in the hour that we live than knowing him. And making it our aim to know him, to, to do what it takes to know him. There's a great anecdotal story. You may have heard of um, Charles and John Wesley, the great awakening revivalists. One was a preacher, one was a musician. The story goes like this about the Wesley's mother. That uh, I think their father was, was delinquent in somehow. So this woman, I don't know how many kids she had, but at least had two boys. That's a lot. 18, let, let, 18 kids? Dang. That's a lot of kids. And so the story goes like this. The mom's running the house, running the show, taking care of all the kids. But she had committed herself to knowing God and spending time with God. And when she was going to be alone with the Lord, she would pull the apron over her head. (laughs) And she essentially said to the children, if you see the apron over my head, unless the house is burning down, you don't talk to me. Because she'd made a priority of knowing God. She made a priority of the place of prayer, and look what it produced. The two greatest reformers and revivalists our nation has ever known, perhaps the world. This is what happens with one simple person. If if this woman with so many kids can do it, you and I can do it. Get get you an apron if you need one. (laughs) Or find the time and the place for you to be with God. And unless the house is burning down, you're going to be with him. Unless there's crisis that necessitates you, you're going to be with Jesus. 
And it can be 5, 10, 15 minutes. It can be long hours. Your season of life can determine that. The point is, know him. Know him. Put away the distraction. Turn off the phone. Open up the Bible. Get to know him in the word. Put the apron over your head and don't let anything keep you from him. In this hour, there is nothing more valuable and I would say there's a million things that will take care of themselves if you'll take care of your relationship with the Lord. That's a good word right there. That'll, that'll preach. Amen, let's go home. Uh, there's nothing more important in the hour that we live than, than knowing him, but I don't want to share one less thought that, it, that is so awesome and so important to see the, the story and the narrative that Jesus is writing is so important. Remember, he's telling them the signs. He's painting the picture for them. I would almost say it's like he painted the background first. And let's look at the end of this, this passage we read again today to wrap it up. Matthew 24 Verse 12, I just read, lawless, many will grow cold, verse 13, but, I love those in the scripture. So he's painted the background, he's painted the scene, and then he puts the central figure in place. But the one, say the one, the one, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And... This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony of all nations, and then the end will come. Let me rewrite that. And then I will come. And so here's the story. Here's the background. It's tumultuous. It looks a little bit crazy, but I'm in control, and there it will be one who endures to the end. Don't see this as a warning, as a castigation. Count this as a prophetic promise. That Jesus says, amidst the chaos, there will be one. And I love that he says one. Because he's talking about you and me as individuals, that you have a place to put yourself in knowing Jesus. That you have a place to know the truth about his coming. It's on you, not on your brother, not on your sister, not on your mom and your dad, not on the pastor. It's on you to know Jesus. But at the same time, the one speaks to this one thing. There will be one church. There'll be one body in the wake of all this because what's trying to happen, they're trying to cause people to betray one another, turn against one another. Even in the church right now, there's temptation, there's pressure trying to turn this group against that group and that person against this group. And God says, that's what all the pressure is going to be on. But you know what I'm going to do? There's going to be one who endures. There's going to be one person, the body of Christ, my church, will prevail, she will endure, when everything else is cracking because it's on a sandy foundation, when everything's falling apart because it's not built on me, there will be one standing, my church, she will endure, and through her, this glorious, beautiful, purified bride, my message is going to reach every part of the planet, and I'll be ready to come. That's the end of the story. That's what Jesus is producing right now. The shakings even of the last three years, hello, are not to drag us down. They've been to expose. They've been to purify. They've been to shake off all the things that keep us from being the one. To cause us to look at one another and not have our hearts grow cold but grow warm. 
and cause us to look to him and draw near and not just know him through that person or what that person said, but I know him. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied, they will all know me. One will not have to teach another because they will all know me. He's producing the ones, the one who know him, and then the end will come. And that's you and me, friend, in the middle of the story. And we're in the season of preparation, the maturing of the bride, the emerging of the beautiful one that will shine the glory of God like waters over the sea of this whole planet, and Jesus is going to come back. Let's stand together. Garrett, will you come? And as we walk in this day, in this hour, as he is soon to return, we want to be a people who know him, who know his voice, who understand his ways that he is good. Do we make it our aim to know him? He's preparing us for this day. He's strengthening us for this day. He's purifying us for the day of his return to be a bride, one with him, one with one another, and full of love, full of his undying love. Let's come before him in prayer. Jesus, we set our eyes on you today. Again and again, we set our eyes on you. We lift our eyes as you encourage us to things above, Because everything below is subject to change, but you never will. We set our eyes on you right now in the midst of cultural turmoil and crisis, and even our own personal moments of crisis. Right now, we set our eyes on you, the one who is above it all. We ask for your Holy Spirit to grace us with the genuine knowledge of God in this hour, that we would walk with you, that we would know you, that we know your voice, that we wouldn't listen to another. We cling only to you. Lord, today we declare that we understand and we believe that you are in charge and that you are good. You have a plan and you're executing that plan. We thank you today that we know that we are yours and that we will be one that endures to the end. We'll be one who you use to shine the glory of God in the face of Christ to the ends of the earth unto your coming. We stand confident, confident in love today. I just want to stay here for just a moment. I feel like the Lord wants to touch some of our hearts today where fear has tried to creep in, when anxiety has tried to take root in the midst of so many circumstances. The Lord wants to set you free today. He wants to loosen those cords around your heart and and breathe upon you with perfect love. Let perfect love come now and cast out all fear whether it's about the national or worldwide narrative or just your own life, if that's been you, if you would just say before the Lord, I know that's me, would you just place your hand on your heart? 
just as a prophetic sign and, and just allow the Lord to come right now. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes, Mar Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, right now to our hearts. Come right now and cast out all fear with perfect love. Lord, I pray for every person, but specifically those right now who are saying, that's me. God, I pray for a baptism of the love of God. A baptism, a fresh baptism of the love of God. A fresh revelation of your kindness and heart towards each one. God, that you come right now, God, in an undeniable way, God, and set up even as it were, a fortress of love that cannot be penetrated in our hearts, God. An undeniable knowing that we know that we know that we know that you love us. You love us. You love us. You love me. You love me. You love me. And let that love cast out fear. Let there be no fear concerning the headlines. Let there be no fear about tomorrow. Let there be no fear about our families or our workplaces or our income. Let there be no fear, no fear, no fear in us as your people. God, we ask in the name of Jesus.